All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be together here with you. Uh, like Matthew said, my name is Kent. I'm a creative arts and worship director here with the church, but every once in a while, I get to stand up here and, and share with all of you. So real excited to, to be getting to, to do that this morning. Um, fun fact about me, if I've never met you, I've been married now for two years. And uh, one of the things, yeah, thanks, it's, it's been good. Uh, but one of the things that I've learned is just over the course of those two years is that sometimes I will do things that are embarrassing to my wife. Like, I don't know if you're like that. Is there anybody out here that you can relate? Like, you, you just do things that kind of embarrass other people? Okay, sweet. I'm not alone. That would be more embarrassing if that was the case. Well, sometimes I do these things. And for me, one of the things that I do that's particularly embarrassing is I'll freestyle rap. Like, I don't know why I enjoy this, but I do. Like, I'll do it in private. I'll do it in public. I freestyle rap. Now, now quick clarifier, I'm not saying, like, I'm good at it. Like, I'm definitely not good at freestyle rap, so I'll spare you the demonstration today because Trust me, you don't want it unless you really like Dr. Seuss. No, you don't, you don't want it, trust me. Um, what I want to do instead is I want to tell you a quick story of a time that I embarrassed Lauren with, with this talent that I have. So um, it, it happened when we were, we were still dating, and we're driving around Route 6, and I decided that day that, that I wanted to just kind of make up some things on the fly. So we're driving around, and I'm rapping. And this, that's not the embarrassing part, because she was already used to it at that point. The embarrassing part is that at this point in our relationship, I had decided that she needed to join in with me in the process. And so I would leave these gaps in my raps. <laughs> I would leave these gaps and, for her to join in. And she, she just wasn't having it. Uh, she didn't want to join in. Um, and so it took some convincing, but eventually she did. And it was crazy. Uh, I still remember it. She's like kind of nervous and she's like getting herself amped up. And she's like, all right, yeah, uh, my name is Lauren. And right when she said that, literally our engine just starts to smoke and our car broke down on the side of the road. True story. And now I'm not saying we broke down because she was bad, right? But I'm also not saying that that's not a possible explanation as to, as to why this happened. But I want to I show you a really quick picture, all kidding aside. Um, I don't know if we have that. Yeah. So this is us. We're broke down on the side of the road. Uh, we're waiting for a tow truck. And as you can see, our thumbs are down because the circumstances were rough, right? But our thumbs over here on this side are up because in the midst of sort of the rough circumstance, we still felt like we were doing all right. And so I want to begin this morning just by asking you, have you ever had a moment like this where, where even though your circumstances weren't great, you still were? Have you ever had a moment like that? And if you have, I think you can relate to this series that we've, that we've been in that we're calling Invincible Joy, because um, really that is what joy is. Joy is defined, even though it can be sort of a vague word, I think, to us at times, it's defined as fulfillment that is not based on our circumstances. Joy is fulfillment that, that is totally non-circumstantial, and I think it's important for us to understand that concept because we live in a culture and in a world that tells us the exact opposite, right? The culture tells us that if you want to be fulfilled in this life, then you got to change your circumstances. You need to get a better house, you need to get a better car, all this stuff, and that's not bad stuff at all, but, but what the Bible tells us is that fulfillment is something totally different. True fulfillment can actually be much deeper. It's not about what makes us happy all the time. It's not about a perfect life. It's about a joyful life. It's this thing that goes beyond circumstances. And so in this series, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the book of, of Philippians. And this book is known for, for being just completely like joyful. 
But the crazy part is that the author of this book, the Apostle Paul, is writing these just really joyful words from a Roman prison. That he's literally like on death row, writing these joyful words, which begs the question, how? Like, you know, like what, what about this man's life made him so joyful in such dire circumstances? And as we've seen, it all comes back to his relationship with Jesus. And so that is really the essence of, of what we've been looking at in this series, is, is this man's relationship with Jesus. And today we're going to continue to do that, but we're going to see Paul sort of shift his attention off of his own relationship with Jesus and onto this church in Philippi. And in this church, there's some, there's some stuff going on. Uh, there's some disputing, there's some arguing, lots of stuff is, is happening, and we're going to see him address that. And I think what we're going to find is this, is that joy is found more abundantly when we seek to follow Christ more obediently. That's the big idea. Everything I say is, is going to kind of center around that, that idea, that joy is found more abundantly when we follow Christ more obediently. Um, and I think it's going to be good. I want to be clear, though. I'm not saying we're saved by our obedience, right? I'm not saying we just need to go out and be good little boys and girls. That's definitely not the case. But I am saying that there is a link between the amount of joy we experience in our relationship with Jesus and how much we engage with Jesus, right? There's a link between that. So what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to give us five questions to kind of help us examine internally our own relationships with Jesus from the text, not because, again, not because I want us just to follow the rules, but because I want us to be a church that has more joy. So um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out, turn them on, like he said, whatever, whatever you got to do. Um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12, and we're going to go to 18. Um, but while you're turning there, let me go ahead and, and pray for this time and, and ask the Lord to bless it. So, Lord, just thank you that this morning we can engage with your word. God, and I, I pray that that's what this time would be, that it could just be a time where, where we hear from you, Lord, that your voice would be the loudest one in the room. Lord, would you speak right to us, Lord, and would you change us, make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, amen. Let's, let's dive in. So we're starting in verse 12, like I said, and the first word that we see is, is therefore. And we say this all the time, but anytime you see the word therefore, you got to ask, what is that therefore? Therefore. And, and in this case, it's there because Paul is, is wanting to link what he said with what he's about to say. And so if you're here last week, you know that he just got done talking about Jesus. Right at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, there's this beautiful Christological hymn which is just a fancy way of saying a song about Jesus. And so he's just got done talking about that. That's the context. And he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed Jesus, because of the context, right? We know that he's not talking about obedience to himself. He says, Therefore, as you have always obeyed Jesus, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. And so we're looking at this verse, and we get the sense that Paul has a history with these people. And, and actually, if you look in the book of Acts, you can actually see that Paul had started this church in Philippi, and, and he must have developed a really close relationship with them because he calls them his beloved. Or your translation might say, my dear friends. Either way, it's this Greek word, agapetos, which is really fun to say. Um, I don't know why, I just enjoy saying agapetos. Um, but it comes from the, the word agape, which literally is one of the words for love. And so he has this long, loving history with these people. But now he's not with them anymore. He's gone, he's in prison, he's in chains. 
and they're on their own, and he's urging them to keep obeying Jesus. I think that's interesting. He's saying, hey, I'm not with you anymore. Keep obeying Jesus. He's saying that because it was never really about Paul anyway, right? Their obedience that that they had had in that moment was all about Jesus. So even though he's not there, they can continue to be obedient to Jesus. And I think that's really important for us to engage with this morning. Just in the world of, of technology that we live in, we have this just amazing access to all of these different teachers around the world, right? And and in some sense, it's really good because we have all these resources and really good teachings that we can watch at our fingertips. But the downside of it is that I think we can just get so attached to certain people that we end up elevating what they say, even, even above Jesus, it's, and it's kind of funny, like being in, in ministry, like it happens all the time, like I'll be talking to students and they'll be like, well, who do you listen to? Like, which pastor? Do you listen to Tim Keller? Do you listen to Annie Stanley? Like, what's the pastor that you listen to? And, I'm, and that's all fine. But, but man, at the end of the day, I hope it's not just about listening to their words. And, and I kind of struggle with this at times. Actually, growing up, uh, I really looked up to my youth director. And his name was Woody, and he just, he seemed like this type of guy that always had sort of the right things to say. Like, whatever he said, it was like, oh, man, that's so good. And I remember one time he said something that, like, really stood out to me, and it, like, I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to tell him, like, that was amazing, like, he is awesome. And so I, like, pulled him aside, and I'm like, you are, that thing that you said, you are awesome. And he was like, bro, that was like John 3.16. Like, it was literally from the Bible, and so I thought it was, I literally thought that he had, had come up with this. And I, I think we, we kind of do this. Like we can get so attached to these teachers that we make our faith about them. I'm just saying, and we got to be careful, right? Because Jesus is the only one that brings us this true sense of joy. Now, the first question I want to ask for us to sort of chew on is, is, are you seeking to be like Jesus or someone else? There's a lot of great leaders out there, and I want to I be clear. It's fine to imitate like leaders, but we want to imitate the parts of them that are like Jesus, right? We don't want to just, just copy people blindly, right? We need to emulate the parts of them that are like Jesus, but we need to be careful because Paul's saying if we want to experience true joy, then we need to answer that question. Are we seeking to be like Jesus? Is it about him? So that's how we begin. Let me, let me dive back in. So he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. And now we're at verse 12. He says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I got to pause there. Um, first thing I want to say is that don't get too hung up on the, the fear and trembling. I think that that can be a little bit unfamiliar to us to hear the sort of fear and trembling thing. I think it can almost make God sound like he's like this bully, but that's not what it's saying at all because we know how loving God is. This sense of fear and trembling is really talking about a reverence, that God is, is the creator of the universe, that he's so big, that he's so loving, that he's, he's literally something to be respected, uh, to be revered, right? To fear and trembling. It's not because God is a bully. It's because God is just that good. So it says, work out, our salvation with fear and trembling. So what does it mean when Paul says, work out our salvation? And I want to talk about this because if you're a Christian, you're probably thinking, yeah, what, like I thought my salvation was already worked out when I put my faith in Jesus. And I want you to know, yes, <laughs> like it totally was. The moment that you, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you were declared legally holy in heaven. 
There's a really big, fancy theological word for it. It's called justification. But I think if we're, we're honest, for most of us, even though we've put our faith in Jesus and we've been justified, we've been declared legally holy in heaven, when that happened, our lives were still kind of a mess down here on earth, right? Even though we've been saved, we still have issues, we still struggle. And so there's this other aspect of our salvation, and it's called sanctification. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And again, big theological, sort of intimidating word. Don't be too scared of it. It literally just means to become more holy. Uh, my favorite definition for it is this. Uh, it's, it's the process of making presently true in us that which has been declared legally true in heaven. It's the process of making presently true in us, increasingly true, that which has already been declared legally true of us in heaven. That's what sanctification is, and it's just one of the aspects of, of our salvation. And, and I recently graduated from seminary, so I kind of like nerd out about this stuff, probably a little bit too much if I'm being honest. Uh, but I want to show you a really quick chart uh, of the sort of three aspects of our salvation that, that you can see in the Bible. That there's, yeah, there's a past, it's kind of fuzzy, uh, but I'll just say there's a past, present, and future element to our salvation. The, the past is what I already said. It's our justification, this reality that we have been saved from sin's penalty. This was completed the moment that you put your faith in Jesus. It's locked in. It's great news for us. But then presently also, we are being sanctified, sanctification. It's the process where we are being saved from sin's power. And this is going on in you now and is going to continue to go on with you all the way until glorification and this happens in the future, and this is where we be, we're saved from sin's presence altogether, right? And this doesn't happen literally until either Jesus comes back or until we die. And so when Paul says, work out your own salvation, he means now. He's talking about our sanctification, right? And, and it's so important that we, we live out of who God says we are. It's so important that we share our testimonies and we look back at what God has done, right? But if we're not also sharing testimonies of what God is doing now, if we're not putting an effort into our faith today, if it's not a present thing for us, then we are not engaging in our sanctification. So the next question I want to ask you is, are you becoming more like Jesus presently? Are you becoming more like Jesus presently? And if the answer is no, I wouldn't be surprised if you're not experiencing much joy in your life. We say this in, in the well all the time, that, that no one just drifts into godliness. It's not a passive process where we just, we just sit back and, and don't do anything, right? It doesn't just happen by magic. We put in effort. If we want to experience true joy with Jesus today, we gotta, we got to ask that question. Am I engaging in this process? Am I putting in effort? Paul says, we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's our part. But let's keep on reading because there's more to the story, right? We, we can't just leave it at that because that could be dangerous. Now here in verse 13, he says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Hmm, that's interesting. So we just talked about us, like we're working out our salvation. Here he's saying, for it is God who works in you. So which one is it, right? That's a great observation, my blossoming theologian. The answer is both, that, that God is, is doing it and we're doing it. The theologians talk about this as we are working out what God is working in. It's a relational process, us working with God. 
I heard it explained this way, and I really liked it, so I wanted to share it. Um, I have a picture of this famous road in Lake Tahoe, which I've never been to, and I really want to go to. It looks really pretty. Um, but this road is famous uh, because it's 1,000 feet over this lake, and I guess if you're there, it, you can kind of tell from the picture, it actually looks like the, the road is going into the lake itself. And so it's famous because of that, and you can kind of tell, but what you can't tell from the photo is that on both sides of this road are sheer 1,000-foot cliffs. So you could just, if you go too far to one side, you could fall off. You have to be really careful as you're, as you're driving down this road. And I think this is a picture of our sanctification. This road is literally a, a way to think of, of the Christian road to holiness because if we think too little of our role in the process, we fall off one side, right? We disengage. We're not putting into any effort into our faith at all. But if we think too little of God's role, then we fall off on the other side and we can become prideful, right? So it's this both and. It's this God has designed this, this process of our sanctification as this relational process. It takes all of us, but in the end, we find out that it was because of him. I think Paul says it best in 1 Corinthians 15.10 when he says this, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. That God was, 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 he was putting in all this effort, right? But God was the one that was changing him. And this is such good news for us, right? Because the reality is, I think if, if we're honest, there are things about ourselves that we can't change. There's stuff that, that, that's just in us that, that we can't do anything about. And so I love what the passage says, that, that God is, is working in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. That he's working in us, changing our desires that lead us into new action, that he's changing our desires and actions over time. And that's not something we can boast about, right? We put in effort, but it's God that even gave us the desire to want to put that effort in in the end. So we can't boast about it. The next question for us as we examine our, our, our relationships with Jesus is when something changes in your life, who gets the credit? When something changes, who gets the credit? And we're sitting in church, so we're going to be like, oh, yeah, like, I give God all the credit. You know, but like, really, like in your heart, like if you, if you examine your heart, who do you give the credit to when, when something changes? And here's how we know, a, a quick tool. Um, I think that if we live our lives as sort of these credit thieves, then we sort of live between this pendulum that goes back and forth between pride and despair. On the one side, if things are going really well, in our lives, we tend to get proud, right? We tend to think, look what I did. It's all about you. You can sort of elevate yourselves above other people. But on the other side of it is, is despair, that if things aren't going in your, well in your life, then it's not just like, oh, you know, I, I made a mistake. You know, we can, we can move on. It's, it's literally like you are crushed. And if I'm being honest, like, this is sort of a tension that I can live in a lot of the time. Like even as I'm preparing these messages and, and stuff like that and worship and all that stuff, like I can tend to just put this huge weight and pressure on myself, right? That I, I put in all of this effort and I, because I just, I err on that side more, I tend to put this, this crushing weight on myself and it ends up becoming about what I can do instead of what God is doing. And that's not what it's supposed to be about at all. Ultimately, if I do anything right, it's not because of me. It's because of God who is working in and through me. It's all because of him. And so for all of us, if we want to experience this sense of joy, 
in life, we got to ask that question. When something changes in life, when we actually make a step forward in this process of our sanctification, when we become more like Jesus, who gets the credit? Is it us or is it God? So let's jump back into the text. We're at verse 14 now. Here Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. He's getting less theological now. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. So like I said, like I've been saying all these Greek words. The Greek for do all things, it, it means do all things, like just everything. You know, do all things without grumbling or disputing. If you want to stand out in our world, if you want to like actually shine, don't grumble. That shouldn't come as a surprise. There's a lot of grumbling going on in our world. Um, but then he uses the phrase, if you want to stand out in this crooked and twisted generation, which probably doesn't sound all of that like familiar to you, but it would have sounded familiar to them. He's actually referring to, to the book of Exodus where, where Moses is singing this song about the Israelites. It's, a song, it's called the Song of Moses. And he's talking about how when the, the Israelites left slavery, right, when they were freed from captivity and they were walking in the wilderness towards the promised land, he was talking about how they would begin to grumble because the road was hard, right? And uh, so they're, they're walking along and they begin to say things like, man, I wish we could just go back to Egypt because it was more comfortable there, right? They'd been saved and they're walking towards the promised land. I wish we could go back to Egypt. And I think we can tend to do this same thing in our, in our journey with God, right? That as we walk down this path, right, that as we've been saved and as we walk towards our, our glorification, we walk down this path of, of being sanctified, that we can be, begin to grumble because it's hard. I don't, like sometimes we don't like change. Um, and I think we can just wonder like, what would it be like if I went back to, to what's familiar? <clears throat> but, I think what we see here is that that doesn't have to be the case, right? That our walk with God doesn't have to be this, like, this dutiful thing, you know, that we can enjoy this process, that, that we have been saved, but we are continually being saved. There's something to delight in, and that we're headed towards something even better, that we can delight in it. So the fourth question I want to ask is, are you delighting in what's ahead? Maybe even another way to say it is, is are you delighting in what God is doing now, and what he's going to keep on doing? Or do you just grumble because it's hard? Um, one of the things we do as a, as a staff team is we all go out and we raise funds for our full salaries, which is, is really hard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's tough because not everybody receives the idea with open arms. And, you know, naturally, the, I think the temptation for many of us is to complain about it you know, to feel like, oh, like this is a duty. I got to go, you know, support raise. Um, but even though it's a difficult process, what I've found is that uh, God has been using it in my life, not just to provide for me, but God has literally been using it to grow me, that he's been changing me. And, and, and as I've sort of viewed it that way, I've begun to delight in this process, right? That God literally is inviting me out into faith to do something difficult and that I've seen him meet me in there and do amazing things. And I think that's what God wants for our lives. That as we step out and we do these difficult things, as we engage in the process of being sanctified by him and walk towards glorification, right, that he wants us to delight in what he's doing. 
We need to, to walk like we're headed somewhere good, right? Because we actually are headed somewhere good. And I think this is when we actually shine like lights in the world. This is when the church looks like the church, right? The city on a hill. So if we want to experience this joy that God has for us, we need to delight in where he's leading us. Um, and now I want to read the final section. So I've, I've asked you all of these questions so far, right? And we've been examining our relationship with God. And, and now here in verse 16, here's what he says. Hold fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that, that I did not run or labor in vain. Verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. This last section, I would say, is probably the most important section because he says, hold fast to the word of life. And the word of life is literally the gospel. It's the reality that even if you've answered no to every question that I've asked, even if for you uh, this process of, of salvation has only been a past tense thing or it's something that you've been pushing off for the future, even if that's the case, that Jesus still loves you, that he died for you anyway, and he wants to walk beside you into new life, that there's mercy for you this morning. Paul says if we forget that, then everything else that's been shared was for nothing. If we forget that, and then he brings us back to his own situation. He says, even if I die, then I will rejoice, right? Even if I'm poured out as a drink offering, I will, I will rejoice. And so you can almost picture him there, right? Sitting in a jail cell. It's probably dark, and, he, and he's literally thinking, this could be the end. And yet, in the midst of those circumstances, he says, even though that's the case, I will rejoice. And I think this is because of the gospel, because he knew how good it was, because he knew what God had done, what God was doing, and what God was going to do, that he could rejoice even in the most difficult situation. And so I read that and I go, man, what's my excuse? <laughs> right? What's, what's our excuse for not rejoicing? You know, and I don't want to be too hard or anything like that because I know in a room this size there's lots of different circumstances and I don't want to diminish any of that because all of the stuff that's happening in our lives are, is like a really big deal. Um, but I do want us to know that, that God's not done with us yet, right? I do want us to know that where you're at today, whatever the circumstances are, that we can rejoice because today God invites us to engage with him, that he's not done with us, that he's leading us down the path of salvation. And so the final question I want to ask is, will you hold fast to the gospel today? Will you hold fast to the gospel at present, in this moment? And I think for some of us, like I said, our, our walk with Jesus has become this, this thing, this prayer that we prayed a long time ago, and we just haven't been engaging with it right? And you've just been sort of like floating through life, expecting that everything is going to kind of happen on its own. Will you engage with the gospel today? Will you know that, that Jesus has saved you, but he's still, he's still working in you? Will you engage with him in that? Maybe for others of us, uh, it's different. Maybe for you, salvation is something that you've been pushing off till the future, and right now, you're just kind of trying to be a good person. You're trying to put all the pieces together on your own. Maybe today is the day that you receive the gift 
of salvation, that Jesus has died for you, that he's worked it out for you, that he wants to work in and through you. Maybe today that that is the day that that gets settled once and for all. Wherever we are, will you hold fast to the gospel today um, and rejoice in, in just how good it is? So, so here's how I want to close. Um, we're going to have uh, just a time of, of communion together and in prayer and worship. Um, wherever you find yourself today, if you need to pray with someone, I want you to know we'd love to pray for you with whatever's going on right now at present. We want to pray for you if you'd let us. We'll have some pastors and staff in the back. Uh, you can find them back there, and, and we'd love to just pray for you um, and, and help you hold fast to the gospel because that's what the church does. Um, but another thing that we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to celebrate and we're going to rejoice together by taking communion. Um, and I want to invite you to do this. If, if you're a believer here, I want to invite you to make your way to the back at any point during these last three songs. But, but really, uh, what we're doing here is summarized in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, And it says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right? That in communion, we are looking back to what Jesus has already done for us to make us legally right with God. That's good news for us. But even today, as we sit here presently, being changed and being made more into the image of Jesus, that we look forward to the day when Jesus comes back. And so regardless of our circumstances, we can rejoice in what's to come. So we're going to take some time to do that, um, and we're going to rejoice and, and sing to him. So let me pray, and I'll invite the band to come back up. So Jesus, we are just um, incredibly thankful for what you've done, for what you're continuing to do, and for where you're taking us. Father, we, um, we just confess that we need you. Lord, we need you to, to change our hearts, Lord, to will and to work for your good pleasure. Lord, that our desires don't always align with yours. Lord, I know that that can be true for myself. That as I walk down this path with you, Lord, that I can, I can do it begrudgingly at times. Lord, help me and help us to see that you're right here with us. Lord, help us to see how good you are. Father, And could we just rejoice as we walk closer and closer towards you. Lord, we love you and we lift up this, this time to you. Amen.